Today's reading is from Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and asked, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and, went and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And now we will be reading from Luke 24, 36 through 40. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Beautiful day to worship with you. We're glad you've come. If you got one of the little invitations, you may have seen this little line, that this is the weekend that changed and still changes the world. Our world looks nothing like it would without the events that we celebrated Friday night with the cross of Jesus and especially this morning with the empty tomb. I know we have a, a number of different folks here from all kinds of backgrounds, maybe even different beliefs. I want to share that whatever you believe about Jesus Christ or don't believe about Jesus Christ, he was a real historic person who walked this earth. And just like you are here living and breathing flesh and blood, Jesus himself was a real person. The historian E.P. Sanders, in fact, who taught for many years at Duke University, in his book, The Historical Figure of Jesus, lists several facts about Jesus of Nazareth that are almost universally accepted by all serious scholars. Four of those facts have to do with his death. So Sanders writes, about the year 30, he went to Jerusalem for Passover. He created a disturbance in the temple area. He was arrested and interrogated by Jewish authorities, specifically the high priest, and he was executed on the orders of the Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate. There's no reason to question that Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Christ, died, was crucified, just as the Bible says. However, let me suggest to you, as I said Friday evening, that 
were it not for the events of Sunday morning, we wouldn't even know about the crucifixion of Jesus. The Roman authorities crucified thousands, maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of people. They were good at martyring people that were either criminals or that were their political enemies. So if Jesus were just another guy that wandered into Jerusalem and got himself killed for claiming to be the Messiah, no one would worship him. In fact, he would not be worthy of worship because he wouldn't simply be like a confused teacher or miracle worker. He would actually be a dangerous liar and a complete fraud because he claimed that he was the son of God and he claimed that he was going to come back. By the way, the apostle Paul, who if you don't know, he wrote most of the Christian New Testament. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our teaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are still dead in our sins. In other words, if, if everything else in the Bible is 100% accurate and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul's basically saying, you can forget all of it. Like we might as well go to brunch on Easter morning because we have no hope in this particular story. But if it is true, as I said, it changes everything. I don't know if you've ever done this exercise, again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, but kind of rewinding in the story and thinking through what would it be like if Jesus had not risen from the dead? What would the world look like? And I've, I've written out three scenarios that I think are, are the most plausible explanations of what life would actually look like, what our world would actually look like without a risen Jesus. Um, scenario number one, I'll call the crash and burn, because I think this is the most plausible outcome if there's just a dead Jesus. If Jesus comes into Jerusalem at Passover, is condemned by the Jewish high priest, is executed by the Roman prefect Pilate, and there is not a resurrection, I think the most plausible thing that would have happened is that the entire messianic movement would have rapidly, dramatically just ceased to exist. I don't know if you know this, but there were many in Jerusalem, there were many in the Israel in the, the 400 or so years leading up to Jesus of Nazareth, where a number of men came on the scenes and said, I am the Messiah. And they lived briefly, they may have fought wars or battles briefly, but they all died and we don't know their names. If Jesus were just the next in a line of false messiahs, his disciples would have realized, like everyone else, we are horribly mistaken, and they would have just returned in humiliation to their former lives, thinking, like, how could we have gotten it so wrong? And, and by the way, did you know that the gospel writers themselves acknowledge this was the trajectory of the disciples after the death of Jesus? And why I think this is the most plausible explanation of what our world would look like if Jesus did not rise from the dead, I say that on the authority of Scripture. Some of what Vera read this morning indicates that not a single one of the 12 disciples went to the tomb on Sunday morning just to see if it might be true. Like modern people love to say that, they, well, they believed in a resurrection because they were very superstitious and kind of mystical people. And it's not true. None of them went because none of them thought that Jesus was coming back. 
they saw him crucified. They saw him thrust through with that spear. They saw the blood and water come out, and they knew for Jesus, it's over. For us, it's over. Jesus' best friend, John, who writes the Gospel of John, admits we just hunkered down behind locked doors because our thinking was something like this. If the Sanhedrin will come after him who raises the dead and heals the sick and forgives sinners, and we are associated with him, we are next. And so they were terrified. They were living in despair, and they laid low until the commotion died down. And all the scripture writers acknowledged they returned to Galilee and they went right back to fishing. Because they believed there was no hope in the story, in the person they had put their hope in. And let me suggest if in this crash and burn scenario, if that was the end of that with Jesus, no one would have ever written the Gospels. No one would have ever believed this story. The name Jesus probably wouldn't even be known. Um, a second scenario is what I call the violent brief revolution. And this one goes like this. The disciples see that Jesus' humility and love and compassion and grace got him nowhere. And so they think, we need plan B. And by the way, if you know this story, like one of Jesus' 12 disciples was a zealot a Sicari, a guy who carried a dagger, and he wants to sneak up behind Roman soldiers and slit their throat or stab them in the back. And he wants a violent revolution. He wants to raise up other zealots. And I can see this scenario going this way, saying, you killed our friend, you killed our teacher. Obviously, he's not risen from the dead, but we will now ourselves go back to Galilee, go back to the Decapolis, and we will start training for war because we will take out our frustration and our anger and our despair on those who did this to Jesus. And like any other false messiah before them, they would have been nothing up against the Roman Empire and the Roman army. And so that's why I call this the violent brief revolution. They would have been quickly crushed. So that leaves us with a third scenario. And I'm not saying these are the only three. These are just the three that are most plausible to historians over time. And I call scenario three the grand hoax. Because I suppose there's a slim chance the disciples could have opted for this. After overcoming their initial shock, their anger, their frustration, their fear, what if someone said something like this? Hey guys, let's pretend Jesus rose from the dead. Let's, let's tell people Three days after he was crucified by Pilate, we saw him, we touched him, we heard from him, we even ate with him. Let's, let's claim that the reason that they don't see him today is because he took us outside the city and he commissioned us to start a new religion. And then he ascended to heaven and was gone. And you should just trust us that this is true. And maybe they further said, you know, everyone's going to believe us, we're going to be famous, we're going to preach sermons, we're going to write books, we're going to travel the world, and that would be the grand hoax if that's how it went. So let's, let's evaluate these possibilities of what the world could have looked like with just a dead Jesus. I think first we can acknowledge number one and number two didn't happen. Like historically, 
neither of those things happened. The disciples did not continue living in despair, and the Jesus movement did not die out. You would not be here this morning if the Jesus movement had died out. But the second also didn't happen. No, no historian tells us of any kind of revolution or, or battle or conflict that arose with those early disciples going away, getting an army, and coming back. So you can conclude what you will from the fact that neither of those things happened, but neither of them happened. And I think that's why many people today settle on number three, the hoax. And they just say, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, but his disciples went on to live and write and preach and act and even die as if he had. And first I want to point out that takes a lot of faith to believe. See, there's nothing in empirical evidence, there's nothing in history that would indicate that the disciples colluded to pull off the greatest hoax in the history of the world. There's no evidence for that, and there is much evidence to the contrary. So you are free to believe that the resurrection is a hoax, but you're exercising faith just like a Christian exercises faith in order to believe your worldview. So I want you to think about a couple things here. Do you think the religious leaders who had just killed Jesus would just stand by, would just sit back while his now 11 disciples go on to preach good news? He is risen. He has all power, all authority, and you don't have to follow this religious sect in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. You don't have to worship at that temple because Jesus has thrown open the doors for anyone, anywhere, at any time to worship the true God and to be loved and welcomed home. No, they would have, they would have demanded that Pilate produce the body to prove to people, he's dead. We killed him. He's gone. He was a liar. He was a fraud. And the reason they didn't do that, well, it was in the story that Vera read, it's because the tomb was empty and the grave clothes were still there. And you may think, well, that doesn't prove anything. The disciples could have stolen his body. And so you have to examine that thought. Maybe, maybe, maybe these fishermen who wouldn't even stand by Jesus during his darkest hour they all run, they flee, they lock the doors, they're trembling in fear. And you can say, okay, maybe they overcame that fear and somehow attacked the tomb of Jesus that's under Roman guard, yet there's no conflict, no one gets hurt. Then they take the time to unwrap the body of Jesus to leave the clothes behind, and they successfully hide his body from everyone, and then they cook up a new religion on the fly. Again, I think that takes a lot of faith to believe, but you could believe that. Well, speaking of, if, if they're making up a new religion and they're putting themselves at the center or the foundation of it, you ever wonder why they speak so negatively of themselves? Like, if you're trying to start something new and you're like, you should follow me, usually you don't start with, like, I didn't believe it either. We were all cowards, we all ran, we hid, we were not at the tomb. Oh, by the way, in a patriarchal society where the testimony of women was inadmissible in court, our star witness is Mary Magdalene, a woman from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. 
She's our star witness. Believe her. Also, how did the disciples stand up in Jerusalem 50 days later? You can read about this in Acts chapter 2, just 50 days later. And they're all preaching, and, and Peter is at the center of this preaching, and he publicly talks about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, with all the religious leaders there, like in front of the temple, he's like, King David in the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would die and would rise again in three days. And he says, and of this resurrection, we are all witnesses. And history records, no one's responded with, you're liars. We are not witnesses of this. They responded, since this is true, brothers, what shall we do? Since we know, since, since hundreds of us saw Jesus walking around the city three days or four days or five days after his resurrection or after his crucifixion, what do we do in light of the fact that he died and now lives again? Well, as I mentioned, if you believe that this is a hoax that's kind of concocted and then thrust on the world, you need to know that all of these disciples, all of them were martyred for preaching this good news that Jesus rose from the dead. And I think that's worth considering too because a lot of people have died for a lot of things that they believed in. But people don't die for something they know is a complete hoax, especially when they have nothing to gain. So I think when we look at all the evidence, both what happened and what didn't happen, I believe the most plausible explanation historically is that Jesus rose bodily from the tomb just as he said he would. And I want to show you this because we believe this with all of our hearts. I want to show you this with the balance of our time here this morning. And here's kind of a theme I want to communicate to you, that it wasn't just Jesus' body that was resurrected on Easter morning. It was God's whole purpose and mission for your life that was resurrected on Easter morning. When Jesus walks out of his tomb, the purpose, the mission, the meaning of your life before God on this earth and forever comes alive again. Okay, so question for you, what would you say is the purpose or the mission of your life? What is the purpose or the mission of your life? And I don't mean, why do you do what you do? I mean, what is the main thing? What is the ultimate thing? And you would say, as I get up and I go to school, or I get up and I go to work, or I get up and go to the gym, or I get up and go do anything each day, what is that thing that drives you, that compels you? You're like, this is what it's about. As I ask that, I realize some of you may be sitting there being like, well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have that thing. I just... I just live day by day. I just take it as each day comes. I don't have some overriding purpose. Or maybe some of you begin to answer the question in your mind of like, this is what I'm living for. This is my main thing. And you may realize that thing is not informed by scripture. I'm just kind of culturally informed. I'm just kind of living the American dream. Like what is today about? I don't know, more money, more ease. You know, like every, every, everything up and to the right is how we like to graph our lives. We're always going up. 
Things are always getting better, always having more. That's what I'm living for. And I want to show you this morning with just this few minutes that there is hope for every single one of you because Jesus rose from the dead to make God's purpose or mission for your lives something that you can actually do and enjoy, okay? Now, here's what I mean. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and this is very simple, very basic, Genesis 1 and 2, the first man and the first woman that God ever created, and we learn certain things from the very beginning of the story about God's purpose or God's mission, like what is the main thing for humankind? And we learn at least three things. Number one, God made humankind, that is man and woman, in His image to reflect His glory. Number two, God gave humankind dominion, like authority over His world. And He says, cause the world to flourish with superabundance and goodness. And then thirdly, very simply, God called humankind to find our identity in relation to Him. And those are the main things. I mean, I could summarize by saying, God made us, God made you to enjoy intimate friendship with Him and to partner with Him in working for the flourishing and goodness of His world for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. So, why I say the resurrection changed and changes everything is I don't want you to just believe in your minds like, yes, Jesus is risen. And I say, factually, do you believe that? And most of you this morning would say, yeah, factually, I believe that. that that's why I'm here. But I want that to be something that on Monday and on Wednesday and on Friday is motivating and inspiring your life with hope and meaning. So you can get up each new day and think things like this, God, I want to be present with you. I want to enjoy you today, treasure you today, because you are alive. Today, I will use my gifts, my resources, my opportunities to promote the flourishing of my Father's world. My ultimate aim today is to bring honor and glory and praise to God who is worthy. And my secondary aim, which is linked to the first, is that I want to bring joy and goodness to the people that I encounter with my life today. You would get up and say something like this, God, I will find my identity and affirmation in you today. And Lord, best I know it, I will follow your will today and do those things that please you. Okay, do you see any problems with those things I just mentioned from like, I will be present with you today. I will live with these motives. I will accomplish these things. And what I, what I mean by any problems, do you have any hangups or difficulties living with those main things in mind on just a regular day? And I think most of us would say, yes, those, those are a challenge. Because number one, sin has driven a wedge between us and God. We often see Him, if we're honest, as more of a nuisance or as like an angry judge than we see Him as an intimate friend, a savior, uh, a spouse, as the Bible compares his love for us. We often don't desire 
intimacy with God because we want to do things or think things or even be things or treasure things that are not pleasing to Him, that don't draw us closer in relationship. We also live in a world, let's be honest, where exploitation and corruption are just as common as superabundance and flourishing and goodness. And even when we're working for the right things, our work often proves futile and frustrating. It's like, I know, why is this so hard? I'm doing good things, not bad things, but it's so hard. And sometimes our, our motives, we look at, like, why am I doing this? And we realize my motives are a mix of good and bad. Like, sometimes I'm selfless, but sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm doing this for God's glory. Sometimes I'm doing it for my glory. And we often find our identity in anything other than God. And going through the world today, we can find our sense of, like, I know I'm a somebody. I see that I'm successful because it's the promotion, it's the money, it's the sex, it's the prosperity, it's the pleasure. We're living for the commendation of a boss or a particular person or a group. We often struggle like Adam and Eve did in the garden thinking, not your will, but mine be done. And I want to pause there and show you that this really is the crux, and I mean the turning point, because there was a day in history in another garden where Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And all of history turned in a moment on the obedience of Jesus. Because Jesus obeyed where you and I have failed to obey at all times, history turns. And when Jesus rises from the dead, as I said, our purpose, our mission, our meaning comes alive with him. So first and foremost, how can I be present with God and live for his glory as I was originally made to? Well, the Bible says Jesus reconciled us to God where sin drove a wedge. Do you know that in those moments as Jesus is hanging on that cross and bleeding and dying, that as he says, tetelestai, which is it has been finished. The Bible says that literal curtain that separated the glory of God from humanity was torn from top to bottom in two. A curtain so thick that teams of horses couldn't pull it apart. Tears in two when Jesus says, it's done. And he opens a way to come home, to be present with God. And not present in fear, not present in trembling, not present, present in shame or guilt. I mean intimately and joyfully present. Your meaning comes alive again because Jesus is risen where you realize my king is alive, my God is alive, and he's welcoming me into relationship with him Secondly, because Jesus is risen, he sends his spirit, not just to be near us or with us as Jesus was near and with his disciples, but the Bible says he sends his spirit to be in us, to transform our hearts and motives. So we really can seek his glory, his honor, his fame, and not our own. We really can be humble and selfless and compassionate and merciful and forgiving by the way, because Jesus rose bodily from the tomb, and that's so important, because I know there are people who believe that essentially, like, 
your body and the material flesh is bad. It's negative. It's pulling you down. But the, the immaterial part of you, like your soul and your spirit and your mind, those are good. And many people saw death as like the, the immaterial part of you are, are finally freed from the bondage of your horrible flesh. Well, when Jesus walks out of the tomb with a renewed physical body, a restored eternal physical body, what he's showing us is that body matters. The material world that Christ is coming back to redeem, it matters. So that means when you, I don't know, when you engineer a bridge or you feed your pet or you plant a flower or you pick up a piece of trash, you are working for the wholeness and the abundance of something that your living God says, that's all mine. I'm going to make all things new one day, just as I myself have been made new. Since our Savior's risen, he tells us, you have a new identity in me. Some of you have been asking about baptism, and I love that imagery in baptism where it's like we are identified with Christ in his death and identified with him in his resurrection. We are made new. And whatever else is true about us, and there are many things that are true, and many of them are not flattering, but the truest thing about us is that we are children of God. We are redeemed people. We are loved. We are welcomed. And we can live in light of that one voice and say, I want his commendation. I'm free from people-pleasing. I'm free from having to pursue and kind of be controlled by those people that I want your approval, and you and I are free to just please God and find our identity in relation to God. Family, because Jesus is alive and he speaks, we can know his will. And because he's alive, we can be empowered to do his will. If Jesus were just a good story, or just an example, like many people say, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but he's an example of incredible love and sacrifice. Well, again, we, we wouldn't know about the love and sacrifice of Jesus if it were not for Easter and we wouldn't look at the cross of Jesus as an illustration of love, let alone a manifestation of love, unless Easter also happened. Again, we would all look back and say, he lied. He said things that were not true. He claimed to be someone that he's not. Do you realize it's because of Easter that we even think he's a good example? But because of Easter, he's far more than just an example. He is love for you. He is wisdom for you. He is power for you. He is hope for you. Because Jesus conquered sin and death on our behalf, our mission, our purpose, the main thing now is alive in us and we can actually do it. This afternoon, tomorrow, we can do it. Because what sin had long scarred in our lives, those nail-scarred hands healed. What, what death had defeated and made impossible, his defeat of death not only made possible, but made reality in our lives. Because he lives, 
we can enjoy him today, we can worship him today, we can make our lives about him today and tomorrow and forever.